Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Big, big move from Tesla, Tom. But Absolutely. Within the range, you're reporting it correctly. Others are saying it's it surged. It, come on, it's it's back to the top of its range, it right? Absolutely crushed estimates, though. Yes, uh, fair. the third profit in its history. Um, I think on a quarterly basis. Gordon Johnson joining us now, Vertical Group managing director and analyst. Um, Gordon, your view on this company on whether these numbers accurately reflect the company and the position this company is in right now? Yeah, we don't think so. And what we want to highlight is that, you know, they essentially started putting the Model 3 out there. They opened um, reservations up in 2016. The promise then was $27,500 car, um, fully uh, autonomous, meaning you can climb in the back seat, drive coast to coast, sleeping, and you'd have free supercharging. None of those things are true. But on that promise in 2016, they got a bunch of reservations. And we believe they pulled those reservations into 2Q and 3Q. And thus the numbers look great. We don't think they're repeatable. Um, so we think 4Q is a big, big um, question mark, and we think it's going to prove uh, negative. We're, we're, we're more confident in the short than we've ever been. So you've uh, come on my show, come on this show many, many times. You've been very outspoken about your call, which is a sell on this stock. The cash flow position, though, looks more positive now than it has done for quite a while. Um, Gordon, do you think they're going to have to raise capital? It doesn't look like they're going to have to raise capital, and that was one of the key positives. Clearly, the numbers are good. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to have to raise capital. But I think a couple of key questions remain. We need to see the 10Q. Think about this. Their DNA, depreciation amortization, was up only 5%, despite the fact that they amortized their tooling costs on a per-unit basis, and their production's up 50%. So that doesn't pass the okay. smell test. This yeah. is really important, and this goes to Jeff Sprague and all that Vertical does in terms of acute research. You're going to wait for the quarterly statement which I'm going to guess is 30 to 60 single-space boring pages where I would nod off and John Tucker, John Farrow, John Tucker would nod off as well. What are you going to look for in the 10Q about manufacturing processes? Yes. So I think that's a very good question. One other thing, though, I wanted to highlight, their SGNA was down despite the fact that the unit deliveries are up 105%. They opened four new stores and 44 new superchargers. So we need to understand how their SGNA is dropping, i.e. how are they basically paying less to their workers despite the fact that they're ramping up all these new facilities. And we don't know the answer to that This is critical because we, we don't need Mr. Musk dialing 1-800-VERTICAL. <laughs> but, but are you suggesting malfeasance or is this just the normal debate that any major accounting firm would have about accounting? Well, we think that there's definitely some accounting shenanigans going on. Um, if you okay. go back to the last quarter, they had a profit. Q3 of 20, I think it was 16. And you look at that quarterly report, they were they were guiding to a profit thereafter. And if you go, go to the, the last time they reported a profit, their profits then after that quarter went significantly negative. Listen, they did a bunch of things to pull forward demand into Q3. They offered free supercharging. They opened up uh, their Fremont facility to buy cars. Okay. They did discounting, but et cetera. We got Rip. John, this is really important because the word shenanigans goes back to Howard Schillett. It's like a, a famous <laughs> word in American counting. I don't know if that let's, translates. Let's be clear, though. When, when you use that word shenanigans, you're not saying anything untoward is going on. Uh, yes, uh, we don't want to go as far as to say that, but we do believe that, for instance, their services and other division margins are negative 35%. Why is that? Elon Musk said a few quarters ago that who, that was going to Who audits positive. them? Come on, a major firm's auditing them, right? Or they got some local shop out of Palmdale. Which is it? 
it's Price uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. But one thing I'll highlight: there was an LA Times article last week that stated that they were taking employee costs and taking those out of cost of goods sold and capitalizing them. So th this isn't just us saying this. That is a respectable newspaper essentially alleging accounting impropriety. Fascinating stuff. And Gordon, I'm sure we'll have to get you back on. And of course, we'll have to try and get a uh, comment from the company as well. Gordon Johnson, Vertical Group Managing Director and Analyst, joining what, us on what, Tesla. But he just said it's so important, John. I, can we keep, John, you're in charge of the show. Can we keep Mr. Johnson around? You can keep to him To do around. five things we need to know about accounting? You can keep him Because what he just said is really, really critical, really important. Is this believed in the street or do you feel like you're alone? On the idea of shenanigans. I, I feel like I'm alone. One other thing I'll highlight that it, it really gets to the core and really upsets me as a person. Tesla keeps talking about how safe their cars are. There's a, a medium called Medium Transportation that did an analysis. And basically, their analysis suggested you're four times more likely to die if you're in a Tesla car versus other luxury brands. Okay. Gordon Johnson joining us now from Vertical Group Managing Director and Analyst after Tesla reports a really good quarter, the third positive quarter but. for the company. Um, the question, I guess, Gordon, and you used the word shenanigans, so let's um, talk about that again. Whether that word implies that something untoward is going on or whether they are just sort of artificially making things look better by squeezing suppliers, bringing orders forward, those kind of things. Which one is it? Well, I think it may be that they're um, the, the latter. And, and, and a couple of things we want to talk about with respect to the queue. One thing we definitely want to see is their warranty reserves. We want to see what that number looks like, but because we've definitely gotten comments from the Tesla Motor Club that there's issues with respect to quality, there's issues with respect to parts falling off the car. So if that number drops, that number takes away from gross revenue and drops 100% down to right. the gross profit line. So if warranty reserves are dropping at a time when complaints are increasing, okay. that is a concern. We, we know that all of our audiences worldwide, Gordon Johnson, have an accounting acu acuity. They're in finance, they're in business. They have an interest in this. Does warranty <clears throat> reserves move the needle for Mr. Musk? Is he going to say that's inconsequential or is it a tangible reason to be cautious on the stock? It's, it's, it's one of the key things. That I think it does move the needle. One other thing we definitely want to look at as well is we've gotten indications that they sold large amounts of cars being returned to Enterprise, i.e. the rental car company. And you can see that with respect to the almost the more than doubling in their what accounts receivable. John, is this CFA level five today? With Gordon? Is that Apparently. what we're doing? But this goes back to revenue recognition, right? right? Which, you know, in England, John, it's been a big deal over the years. In Germany, particularly. I mean, are you, this is important, Gordon. You're saying one of the things we need to know is revenue recognition is an issue at Mr. Musk's company? 100%. In the auto industry, when accounts receivable show a significant increase, that is indicative of sales to the commercial space, i.e., rental car companies. And those sales are done at huge discounts. But if Tesla does not recognize the cost associated with those sales in this quarter, that is a huge boost to gross margins. And, and one other thing I'll highlight, we, we want to look at this and see if it's, it's, it's covered in the queue. We've heard of multiple instances of people getting a VIN number, paying for their Tesla car, going to pick the car up, and then the VIN being reassigned to someone else. That potentially enables Tesla to double book car sales in the quarter um, that effectively selling one car to two people that boost their cash flow. So these are all items that we think need to be looked into specifically. And we think the 10Q will provide some insights. We haven't seen that yet. So Gordon, essentially you're saying this quarter can't be repeated. 
We think this quarter cannot be repeated. One thing we highlighted on the, the, the prior um, appearance was if you look at Norway, the reason why we highlight Norway is in Norway, if you buy an ICE engine car, internal combustion engine car, you pay double the price. There's an excess tax that means you have to pay double the price. So 45% of the cars in Norway are EV. Right now, the first month, i.e. October, that Jaguar right. I-Pace is available, they've outsold Tesla by 64%. And those cars are coming to America, right? Those cars are coming to America okay. in the fourth quarter. Okay. I'm sorry. You're wearing Dodger blue today. That's what it looks like. Well, the last thing we need to know, Gordon Johnson, and what do the Dodgers do about their pitching? I mean, forget about all the distractions. They got to get somebody to put the ball over the plate. Where is the next Koufax? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a Dodger fan. It was uh, it was tough last night. Uh, you know, I can't root for the uh, Red Sox because I, I bleed uh, New York Yankees blue. So um, I, I don't know the answer to the question, but uh, they have my backing 100%. What do you want me to say back to that? You're supposed to say, but you, okay, you want, they you don't want me have, to, you want me you're to stick up for you. You're supposed to say, if they don't have a Kofax, where's their Drysdale? Do you think I have a clue what you're talking about? Oh, God, I love it. Gordon Johnson, thank you so much. A special five things you need to know. Thank you, Interactive Brokers. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think we should bring in a man that really needs no introduction on Wall That's Street, right. um, Gary Schilling. We now get to call him a Bloomberg opinion columnist, don't we, Oh, we, we do. Oh, yes. Dr. Oh, Schilling, yes. I'm very oh, pleased yes. about that. So, Gary, what is going on in fixed income right now that you think we need to be paying attention to? I'm sorry? What is going on in fixed income now that you think we need to pay attention to? I think it's, I think it's uh, emerging markets uh, because they feasted on, on cheap borrowing uh, and <clears throat> after the financial crisis. Uh, investors were only happy, too happy to lend there. They're zealous for yield. And, of course, a lot of this was dollar-denominated, uh, but now the dollar's rising, so it makes it much more difficult for them to service those debts. Also, as the dollar strengthens, uh, the commodity imp imports for most of these countries are, are through the roof. You look at Turkey, for example, their price of price of oil in, in Turkish lira has basically doubled. Yeah, but you and I have seen this before, and the, the basic difference now, I'm told, is dollarization, whatever that means. Are you suggesting, Dr. Schilling, that this is, this is different than 1998, different than Ecuador, different than the three Mexicos? Well, that remains to be seen, Tom, because so far you haven't really got contagion in a big way. It's, it's Argentina, Turkey mainly. Okay. Uh, and, and, of course, in the late 90s, it started in Thailand, spread throughout Asia, and then to, uh, to uh, Brazil and Argentina, and ultimately to uh, Russia and long-term capital management. But, but uh, you very well could have that contagion. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it's interesting so far. You're, getting, you're seeing signs of excesses. You're talking earlier about this leveraged loans. I mean, they've, they've basically doubled, I think, $1.3 trillion in the, in the sensor financial crisis, uh, but you haven't seen junk bonds disappear. Junk bonds, you've had a punishment in emerging market uh, equity and debt, but you haven't seen it in, in uh, domestic junk bonds. So, you know, there's the real question is this, in other words, is this simply the calm before the storm and we're going to wake up one of these days mm -hmm. and see huge contagion? There are a lot of things that are potentially in that category, but we haven't seen them yet. So which one are you expecting, Gary? Well, I, I, I would... I don't know. There's one country I would I would definitely point out, uh, but uh, you know you got to look at countries like South Africa, 
Brazil. I mean, they've got an election. You, you, you don't know how that's going to come out. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I think you can almost throw a dartboard and try to figure out can which you, one it'll can be. Can you maintain your historic call on lower interest rates? I want you to justify that right now. You've got a few people on Wall Street, good morning, Steve Major at HSBC, who are in the vicinity of shilling. But do you maintain that we haven't seen a turn in the great Volcker disinflation? Yeah, I think I think that's true, Tom, because we're basically in a deflationary world. You look at you look at all the forces out there. You look at the uh, you look at globalization first and foremost. Probably the most important development on the world scene in the last three decades. I mean, that is massively deflationary. As you simply take Western technology and put it in areas of very cheap labor costs. Uh, principally in, in Asia. Uh, other things, uh, you know, the Amazon, the Amazon mm-hmm. effect just really knocks out retailers. And, and uh, you see it in other services. Right. What's the highest 30-year bond you've ever remembered? The highest 30-year? Yeah, yield. 12.6%. Uh, 12.6%. 12.6% in 1980. So how do you respond to 3.36% and the world's going to fall apart if we get to 4.0% 30-year bond? I, uh, well, I, I think that's I think that's overdone. I mean, we've we've done work on this, and and uh, in terms of you know a debt bomb, for example, the point at which interest on the federal debt gets such a big right. element in the deficit that it then it takes off geometrically, and and the worst you had was in the '90s, and <clears throat> right. and 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 today to get to the equivalent, right. you'd have to go to eight percent. Uh, yield on treasuries. The distinction here is that John Farrow and I on a Thursday, today's Thursday, right? Do I got the Today right is Thursday. Ticket? What's I, on I, some? I, oh, I'm in a blur, you know, my, me and my good friend David Price can't figure out which day did it is. Did we go from two beers <clears throat> to four beers right. last night? We, we did. Well, Thank you, Mary Jansen, Lager yeah, Beer. Yeah, I bet. Okay, so John Farrow and I agree that every Friday the doom and gloom articles come out. Your charm, Gary, is you've been cautious on yields, but you haven't been doom and gloom. What do the doom and gloom people get wrong about their worry about the economy, worry about the stock market, and the rest of it? Um, I, I think that they have really are, uh, feel that we've had uh, low rich rates for so long that any, any, any break in that is the end of the world. I don't think they're looking at the greater scope of history. You know, Which is the technological progress and the new technology overlay. Which yeah. keeps driving this forward. Yeah, I mean, you've written true. about this for Bloomberg Opinion. You know, like five, six, eight essays on China. Yeah, but as I say, I, I think there's 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 so much of a tendency to look at the last couple of years and project that into right. the next millennium. Then how do you bring it over to the equity markets and the primal urge to go to cash? Well, I you know equities equities are are very expensive, and you have the Fed no longer as a wind at your back. You got the wind at your face. And, right. you know, the old saying is don't fight the Fed. And I'd say to you, can you own Whitewell shares today? Whitewell, John, was a firm a few years ago that Mr. <laughs> Schilling had a business card at. But can you own the banking shares right now who have not participated in the recent foolishness? No, I, I, I don't think so, because I, maybe maybe that has, maybe, well, the banks in terms of spread lending, that, that action may be over because, right. of course, their, their rate increases led the increased costs they right. have for funds. And now they've got to pay more for their money. But, you know, the the problem with banks, as I see it, banks, they don't want to be in the banking business. They want to be in the growth stock business. And that's what's gotten them into all these things. We're hearing that in a lot of interviews. Yeah, like like leverage loans and and, and, uh, derivative origination and trading, all the kinds of things that got them into trouble in in 2008. 
and and they, they you know the, the traditional yeah. banker just wants okay. to take deposits and lend them out. They don't want to do I, that. I make jokes about you being the poet from Amherst. You are the physicist from Amherst, steeped in Newtonian mechanics. What do you think of our start? Think of what our start. Uh, you know, John Williams, and we're going to you know we're going to do three plugins and run some differential equations and figure out where. Yeah, we're I um, um, I think that the idea that you are going to use mechanical means, IA or whatever, to beat the human brain is a long way from fruition. And that's, I think, okay. what all that, that amounts to. Okay. In other words, you're, you're, looking, you're looking for patterns and you're assuming repetition. And, you know, Mark Twain right. said history uh, right. doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. But it, it doesn't repeat enough. Very cool. Can... He's with us next week. Gary Schilling, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. A. Gary Schilling and his important newsletter. Worth pointing out that we actually um, we crossed over to Tesla and asked for some comment on the uh, the comments from Gordon Johnson over at yeah. Vertical Group on the shenanigans in the accounting. Um, Tesla's saying nothing to add. Yeah, so, well, so no comment from Tesla we, on the record. We, we will see and we will feature Mr. Johnson's comments on our podcast today. Thank you, Spotify. Thank you, Apple uh, Podcasts. For their support, we've been thunderstruck by the success of the podcast. And part of it is our team, led by McKinnon de Kuyper, uh, featuring those interviews, John. We don't have an I, I want to make clear, I don't have an opinion, buy, hold, sell on Tesla. I would hope you don't. I don't. I don't. And, <laughs> You're not and, employed to Well, no, but I one. think within the intense questioning of Mr. Johnson, it may have been led to believe that. But yeah. His, his statements were really something. They were something. On, um, on Tesla. And it's a judgment call, and I'm sure there will be, be a big debate off the back of them. Interesting yeah. that President Draghi's late to this one, Tom. He's late to the news conference over in Frankfurt. What does it signal? I have no idea. Probably absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, joining us on the phone is Christian Schultz, City Economics Team Director. He knows why. Christian, why is he late? <laughs> Well, it's a it's a sensitive press conference uh, today, given what's going on in um, in the eurozone uh, politically, of course. Um, and Draghi is uh, right in the middle of things, so um, of course uh, he might be um, having some last instructions and briefings on uh, what to say and what not to say. But um, I mean, I think seriously, um, it's uh, very much so far at least a non-event. Uh, no changes at all in the decisions. Um, and let's see what he makes of it in the press conference. Well, he's walking into the room right now. If you had a pre question for him in the news conference, what would it be, Christian? Um, the, I mean, the, the key question is under what conditions uh, the path uh, that they've laid out uh, until September next year, so both for asset purchases and for uh, interest rates, uh, under what conditions could they shift uh, from that in both directions? Christian Schultz, City Economics Team Director, joining us as President Mario Draghi walks into the headquarters of the European Central Bank in Frankfurt, Germany, about to take a seat and take questions at the news conference. Gene Munster uh, remains with us here. He, of course, uh, of Loop Ventures, managing partner and analyst. Uh, Gene Munster, we were talking about Tesla, and I want to ask you about Apple in relationship to automobiles, because during the break, we got a chance to chat about that. You have the most expensive version of Apple Play, correct? Yeah, that's right, Pim. I, 
uh, in some ways paid $42,000 for a version of Apple Play, a recent not-so-proud owner of a Mazda uh, 9. It is their larger SUV, and I had the privilege of getting it tricked out to the kind of the full touring edition, which is a $42,000 edition. Uh, The reason we uh, purchased this car is we wanted something bigger, but ultimately wanted the biggest car with Apple Play. That, uh, in a a matrix I put together, even though $42,000 is a lot of money, it was the cheapest, largest car that had Apple Play. Okay, the reason I mention this is not to uh, comment on your purchase of a Mazda, but to demonstrate how technology and the desire for technology drives purchases in ways that may not have been the normal consumer pattern in the past. Exactly. And you mentioned Tesla, not just as an automobile company, but as a company that is going to challenge the business model of companies such as Uber and Lyft as well. Tesla's, as we talked about earlier, is this concept of accelerating the globe's adoption of renewable energy. It's not just a car company, but car is an important segment. And when they think about that, they have a really a radical view about how transportation can be changed and really desegmented. And so ultimately, and, and Elon Musk was very clear on the call last night, is the company has ambitions to compete directly with Uber and Lyft. That means a Tesla-owned fleet. So they own the cars and they put it out there and they would presumably offer transportation, <clears throat> offer rides at yeah. less. And then separately, an Airbnb option where they allow uh, Tesla owners when they're at work to turn their car over to the fleet. That's just one example of how they're really taking the blinders off and thinking different about the future right. transportation. It sounds like the Jetsons. Does the public want this stuff? Not very many people, I think, are going to want to well, turn their it, car over to the fleet. But within the Mazda thing you did with Apple Play, does the public want that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. There's evidence that they want it. 100%. Yeah. I think well, if you have a, let's say you have a, a children and they love Apple and Apple Play and everyone's got an Apple device, what are you going to buy? You're going to buy cars that are Apple enabled, which uh, opens up the conversation about what Apple's going to do in the car longer term. Um, I have to, as part of my therapy around being a big believer that Apple was eventually going to do a TV, I need to mention projects that Apple works on don't necessarily see the light of day. But in fact, Apple is working on a car. They have a partnership with Volkswagen right now. They're doing a lot of testing around AI. They just hired uh, the head of uh, manufacturing from Tesla or rehired him back to Apple. So I think that uh, it won't just be CarPlay in the future. I uh, am uh, I'm optimistic mm-hmm. that eventually they're going to play a bigger role in transportation. You're not doing buy, hold, sell so much uh, at Loop Ventures versus what you did at Piper Jeffrey, but... Where are you on Apple right now when you look at some of the parts? To me, they're just ever dominant, but I'm just speaking because I see all my kids, their phones have all broken in the last 12 weeks. Uh, it's going to be an expensive uh, uh, Last night repair. was the laptop pitch at dinner. And and you're resisting this because what a, you're going to give in later or when? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, what's the point? I need, I need a new laptop. I said, I'm talking to Mr. Munster tomorrow on radio. We'll ask him. I mean, that's what it's about. They, it's about, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, wait till uh, next uh, Monday. They'll have new ones to announce there. But, you know, as far as Apple's concerned, I, uh, we're still very optimistic that this stock has uh, got a lot of room to go higher. It could be multiple times bigger, as hard as that is to believe. There's a shift in terms of how investors are thinking about this. Instead of the 
anxiety around what the iPhone number is in a given quarter. They're starting to get more comfortable that it's going to be a stable business. And the overall hardware and software is operating more like a services business. So we refer to that as Apple as a service. If that does, in fact, take hold, that's a higher multiple and shares should uh, ref uh, move higher based on that. Can you share with Mr. Keen the concept of the wireless earbuds, the earpods, and also the notion that Apple is going to infiltrate other areas of daily life, not just your computing, but with the Internet of Things and 5G coming, there's going to be a lot of stuff we don't even imagine right now. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that we're not imagining right now is around uh, transportation's one. Also wearables, as you said. AirPods have been uh, just an absolute grand slam for the company, um, and they're going to continue to evolve on that. But the watch is surprisingly accelerating in growth. I was recently at an Apple store. There was a gentleman there in his 90s, and he's looking at a watch, and the, the salesperson was having Yum. a hard time <laughs> explaining how to actually charge the watch. And I asked him why he's buying it, and he said it's for fall detection, this new feature that they added. So they are coming up with products that fit a lot of uh, areas of our lives that you would never have thought of a decade ago. Is it bad that an 11-year-old is pitching me on Come on, we need to get the new one because it's got six core and quad core processors. I mean, these kids are all. Well, the fact that they were able to put those words together in a sentence, yeah. I think. I would tell that's what my mother said. If I can yeah. just do a quick sidebar. So you can't talk to somebody who is more optimistic about the future positive impact of technology in our lives. I, I think that I'm, I'm betting my uh, career at Loop Ventures on that. That said is we are doing more work on uh, this tech addiction problem. This is very real. Uh, you've seen some smile adjustments to what yeah. products that Apple's had on the software level uh, to try to help manage addiction, but ultimately I think it's a hardware problem. And so uh, what I think we're getting into is a period hopefully where people recognize some of the, the damage that we're doing uh, with our constant uh, uh, usage of these devices. Is, where's the technology loop on this? I, I, I mean, every they, they do a new core processor, they do this. From an engineering standpoint, there's got to be a shelving. There's got to be where we go far enough. Or is it not there? It's just forever better and better? I'm in the camp. It's forever better and better. I mean, uh, and so, yeah, I think that the, the last hundred years would suggest that it's forever better So and the better. Apple XVIII will be just that much better. It will be 5% uh, better, but that 5% will oh, be indispensable. I mean, I've, got, I've got the new one here. You can see this on radio, and instantly the camera was just stunning. Little things like that, uh, the 5% every year make a big difference for people. The, the, uh, the quality that Apple projects, not only in terms of the products they produce, but the comments and the thoughtfulness of their presentation, and I'm thinking of the alerts that they send to tell you how long you have been using your device. Are they the only ones who are doing that, as far as you know? Google's doing it too. They just rolled out some tools around that this spring. So mm -hmm. they're, it's, they call it digital well-being. So um, yeah, Android phones yeah. start to have that as well. I, I thought you meant the alert data, I need a new iPad. There's that <laughs> alert. That, that's, Time that's not an alert. That's, that's an alert. order. That's an alert. Gene Munster, thank you so much. Great to have you in our studios, Gene Munster. Thank you. Uh, Luke Ventures, of course, talking on Tesla and, and really talking on technology uh, as well.
Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.